turn out to be like him. Uh, you know, what do we what do we do next? And so I, uh, you know, have talked to those folks. I've you know coached them, counseled them on what to do, and then I've started writing a book. And the point of the book is I I lay, I'm going to name the book a pack your parachute, uh, and it's after the metaphor of, um, you know, a pilot does not wait until the engines are on fire and he's in a nosedive to pack his parachute. He has that parachute ready packed and ready to go so he can grab it and jump if the situation demands it. Well, when you talk about COVID and some of the things that happened, you know, during that, you know, kind of black swan event that happens once every hundred years or so, uh, those people, uh, you know, that exited and sold their business during that period of time uh, didn't do it uh, at the drop of a hat. They had a plan. They were literally able to grab their parachute and uh, start talking to people about their business and being able to be in a position to exit their business because they had everything all teed up. They had thought about it. They had given some thought to it. Uh, and they, uh, a lot of folks during this uh, window of time uh, were able to successfully and profitably exit their business. Now, of course, there's some that, you know, uh, weren't on, were unable to, and a lot of people did go out of business. But uh, the point taken is that successful exits uh, are not pure luck. You can get lucky. You can be in the right place at the right time and have a successful exit without ever planning it. Those are by far the exception. Those that have the most successful, most strategic, uh, most uh, highly leveraged, where they are able to get twice to sometimes three times the amount that they ever envisioned because they found a strategic buyer to acquire them. Those things are generally uh, planned for and given thought for, uh, and they just don't automatically happen. What's going on, guys? It's Yahavi David, St. Clair Speaks, and you are now tuned in to the St. Clair Speaks show. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast on platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything that you need in a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app and start your journey today. It's that time. You are now tuned in to the St. Clair Speaks Show. What's going on, guys? It's your hobby, David. St. Clair Speaks. You are now tuned in to the St. Clair Speaks Show. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the St. Clair Speak Show podcast. I'm your host, Yahavi St. Clair. Guys, we are sitting with another impactful, credible guest, Marvin Storm, husband, entrepreneur, grandfather, podcaster, exit strategist, author, and of course, a faith-driven man, uh, disciple of Christ. We were just chit-chatting uh, a little before, and uh, Marvin's also quite the golfer and skier as well. Marvin, I want to welcome you on to the St. Clair Speaks Show podcast. Please give an audience a three to five minute introduction on yourself, your brand, your business. And how did you get on this path of being an exit strategist? Well, I really uh, am in 
uh, delighted to be here, and I love your energy. It's uh, very invigorating and uh, uh, gets me all juiced up. Uh, well, just to give you a little background on myself, um, I started out a career like a lot of folks do, thinking you know where you're headed. Uh, you go to college, you get a degree. I got my degree in accounting and uh, went to work for a large national firm uh, called Deloitte nowadays. And uh, after spending a few years there, uh, it became very evident that uh, I uh, uh, enjoyed it academically uh, in school, but uh, the reality of a profession uh, of being an accountant slash auditor uh, just wasn't my profile. I grew up in an entrepreneurial home. My father had his own business, and I saw the ups and downs and, and uh, the flexibility that he had as running his own business. And uh, this sort of appealed to me, and I played, was playing pickup basketball game after, after work and um, did it for every week for years and uh, bumped into a guy there that uh, uh, we became pretty good friends and one thing led to another and we started kibitzing about uh, entrepreneurship and running our own thing and before you know it, we had turned in our resignations and uh, launched into our, our own business. We had a uh, like a 18 by 20 room that we had two desks facing each other and some telephones and uh, uh, we, were, we were in business and uh, uh, we grew that from um, the two of us until you know having two full floors on a downtown Oakland, California uh, office building and uh, you know, 60, 70 people working for us, and uh, it was an exciting ride and a fun time. Uh, of course, you know, the world changes, and things change. Uh, our goals and objectives changed, and uh, after about 10 years in business, we got together in a local park and sat at a park bench and talked about what we wanted to do and what our individual goals were and how they had changed, and we shook hands and decided to kind of exit that business and uh, go our separate ways. And uh, I had done uh, quite a bit of uh, leasing. We were in the equipment leasing business, and I had done uh, quite a bit of uh, leasing to some franchise-based companies and really got intrigued with the whole franchising model. And one thing led to another, and I ended up getting involved in franchising and building out a chain of uh, uh, a dozen retail stores and then that led to actually acquiring a franchise company and uh, uh, built that franchise company up to you know, hundreds of units around the country and spun out a uh, franchise uh, out of that uh, retail concept, uh, started a business-to-business -business concept and grew that and had a couple of successful exits and thought I would uh, you know, do what every entrepreneur wants to do after they make a few bucks and, uh, you know, pull up stakes. I lived down in the San Francisco Bay Area and moved up to the Sierra foothills uh, on the way to Lake Tahoe. And uh, um, when you have the pedal to the metal uh, for so long and then you're in coasting mode, uh, it's not as much as fun as I thought it was going to be. I got bored really quickly. And so I got to thinking a little bit about what can I do to leverage uh, my experience and background and, and um, the failures that I've had along the way, how can I benefit others? And I got to thinking about my last exit and how totally unprepared I was for it because that involved you know, private equity and boards of directors and bankers and 
attorneys and and it was something that I hadn't done before. Uh, if I'd have been a little bit more on top of it, uh, I probably could have done a little bit better for myself. But uh, nevertheless, things turned out okay. But I got to thinking about that and thought there's probably a lot of other people out there that uh, have worked decades, if not a lifetime, building a business, scaling it, working hard, you know, 12, 15-hour days. And, and then they start thinking about how the crap am I going to get out of this business? What do I do now? You know, am I going to sell it? Am I going to pass it on to employees or a partner or family? You know, what am I going to do? And unfortunately, some people make bad decisions when they're thinking about uh, selling or exiting their business. And I've seen uh, the podcast that I started. I actually wanted to share all my experience and, you know, stories about others that have exited businesses and that's what I did. I started uh, doing a podcast where I interview transaction professionals, you know, uh, M&A attorneys, uh, M&A advisors, business brokers, uh, CPAs, you know, people that are involved in the transaction flow of a business and I have them share some of their deal transaction stories, the good, you know, the bad, and some of the really ugly ones. And um, you know, it's a, it's a great uh, lesson for those out there that uh, have a business. Uh, they got to start thinking about how they're going to get out of it and optimize and maximize their exit. Uh, and I've had some real sad stories uh, shared on the podcast where people belly flopped. Uh, they, they really screw it up big time and uh, sometimes walk away with very little uh, because they didn't take the time to plan on on what they were going to do to get out of the business. So that's in a, you know, the long and short of it. I've had a great career. I've, uh, you know, had my ups and my downs like most entrepreneurs do and running and scaling businesses. And, and I just right now I'm involved in helping others uh, make sure that the last time they stand at the plate to swing at that ball that they're going to exit the business, that they don't strike out, that they hit a double or a triple or maybe put it over the the fence and hit a home run when they exit. So you make a lot of good talking points. Um, I took a couple notes from what, what you said. Um, you, you mentioned franchising. And of course, we talked about exit strategies. I do have a question for you and I'll come back to the, fr the franchising part of it. Um, I want to talk about exit strategies and I have a really good question for you. Um, this is something that recently kind of like came about a COVID proof business model. And what does that look like now? where, you know, a aspiring entrepreneur or someone that wants to start a business right now, especially online, since it's a lot easier, what does that look like now, since it's a lot easier to just start a business and, you know, you set up something on Kickstarter where you could get the capital or you could put yourself in position like on LinkedIn and have this access. What, what's that like now um, in business, Marvin? Well, you know, I, uh, I'm currently, you know, doing the podcast, I get a lot of feedback from people that listen and they say, well, you know, everything you say sounds great. You know, I listen to that podcast and I certainly don't want to end up like that guy that almost had to close his business before he exited. Uh, and some that did. I don't want to turn out to be like him. Uh, you know, what do we, what do we do next? And so I, uh, you know, have talked to those folks. I've, you know, coached them, counseled them on what to do. And then I've started writing a book. And the point of the book is I, I lay, I'm going to name the book, A Pack Your Parachute. Uh, and it's after the metaphor 
of, uh, you know, a pilot does not wait until the engines are on fire and he's in a nosedive to pack his parachute. He has that parachute ready packed and ready to go so he can grab it and jump if the situation demands it. Well, when you talk about COVID and some of the things that happened, you know, during that, you know, kind of black swan event that happens once every hundred years or so, uh, those people, uh, you know, that exited and sold their business during that period of time uh, didn't do it uh, at the drop of a hat. They had a plan. They were literally able to grab their parachute and uh, start talking to people about their business and being able to be in a position to exit their business because they had everything all teed up. They had thought about it. They had given some thought to it. Uh, and they, uh, a lot of folks during this uh, window of time uh, were able to successfully and profitably exit their business. Now, of course, there's some that, you know, uh, weren't on, were unable to, and a lot of people did go out of business. But uh, the point taken is that successful exits uh, are not pure luck. You can get lucky. You can be in the right place at the right time and have a successful exit without ever planning it. Those are by far the exception. Those that have the most successful, most strategic, uh, most uh, highly leveraged, where they are able to get twice to sometimes three times the amount that they ever envisioned because they found a strategic buyer to acquire them. Those things are generally uh, planned for and given thought for, uh, and they just don't automatically happen. Very, very good point. Um, I'm going to give you a quick example. So living in New York City, seeing like definitely when you're down there in Times Square right now, it's 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 really interesting. You know, the local newsstands, they're closed. A lot of them are closed. Some are open. It's optional. The infamous McDonald's right there on 42nd Street closed down. Right. So these major corporations, and this is where I kind of like swing back to franchising right now. Um, even Toys R Us, for example, closed down in, in Times Square in New York City, a little prior to that. What is a, at this point, because I'll give you another analogy as well. What does a good franchise opportunity look like? Because I've interviewed a franchise advisor of the name of Giuseppe Gramatico a couple episodes ago. And you know, we were talking all things on franchising and he, he's given me some ideas in my head. I'm like, okay, you know, maybe I should, you know, open up my own gas station or do something that sort and, you know, get that capital to get that going. And then there's also, I keep getting these LinkedIn emails about uh, franchise, like um, virtual, what am I trying to say? Virtual tutoring franchise opportunities. So I wanted to know what's what's your thoughts on franchising online as a virtual business versus the, the standard brick and mortar? Well, I think franchising, first of all, is a phenomenal business model. Uh, franchising leverages the best practices, uh, the experience of people that have gone before. Franchising fits individuals that have a great management background, maybe have worked for a large corporation or company, uh, don't want to do it on their own. They don't have the true uh, entrepreneurial startup mentality where they want to create something from nothing and start, you know, by rolling up their sleeves and creating the model or the, 
you know, their business from scratch and ground up, and they like, they're, they're great executors. They're great, you know, they've managed budgets, they've managed people. Uh, they've been able to be successful in a management career. And so franchising, you know, fits p p personality profiles like that. And so when you talk about brick and mortar versus virtual, uh, the, the world changes, you know. Decade, a few decades ago, no one knew what the internet was all about. No one would hold a Zoom meeting or do a podcast like we're doing now. That's all been enabled by technology. Uh, brick and mortar will always have a place uh, in the business world, in the retail world. Uh, even though Amazon is, you know, the behemoth out there and driving online sales on the retail basis. Uh, they are experimenting and coming, circling back around to retail locations. They have their Amazon stores, you know, for Amazon Express type of stores. So the, business, the, the point I want to make is that the world changes. Uh, virtual franchises, if you mentioned tutoring there, I have some experience and background in that where, you know, given that uh, the pandemic uh, descended upon us, uh, virtual tutoring became extraordinarily popular because it was able to be delivered uh, online, uh, virtually, uh, through Zoom and other platforms. Uh, and they were able to give some of the students a competitive edge so they didn't get behind. Uh, you know, those that, you know, kind of took a vacation uh, from school uh, during that period of time, you know, some you know, I've read some studies that have uh, kids are a, a complete and full year behind, and virtual tutoring uh, helped uh, solve that problem. And it was delivered in a franchise model. There are a number of successful franchise models out there that were able to deliver, uh, you know, that service and that uh, product to their customer base uh, very effectively and very efficiently. Uh, they went from, you know, online in-home tutoring or classroom tutoring uh, to a virtual model uh, virtually by the flip of a switch because the franchisor is really charged with looking around the corner and standing on the hilltop to see what's on the other side of the hill while the franchisees are down there executing their business model. The franchisees don't have to worry about uh, what's around the next corner. They pay a royalty to for the franchisor to be the scout out there looking at how the world is changing and evolving and always to have products and services that can meet those challenges in the future. So that's the real advantage of a franchise model. Not to saying that entrepreneurship and people that do their own thing, uh, it just kind of depends on the circumstances and the situation and, you know, the people involved. You know, there are some people that would go nuts in a franchise model because they think outside of the box. They don't want to follow a system. They want to continually innovate and do their own thing. Not a good fit for a franchise model, but those that like to paint within the lines, you know, paint by numbers and are great executors do phenomenally well in a franchise system. You make a really good point, which just leads me right to my next question. So this is a quick question, quick hitter. Three, what are, what are some characteristics, if you could maybe name maybe three to five, that would make a really good leader um, in business? Like, wh what are some things that you look for if you were to hire someone to, you know, run your business, you're going on a six-month vacation, right? Um, wh what are some things that you look for from the leadership side? 
Well, that's an interesting point you make when you say going on a six-week vacation. Most entrepreneurs, that's one of the biggest problems of entrepreneurs that have their own business is that they can't be away from their business. Uh, they think they have to be there every day. They think they have to be the individual that makes all the decisions. Uh, they have to be involved in every component and part of the business. Uh, and they don't trust. They can't delegate very well because uh, they have a high uh, personality profile of you know, wanting to be in control. Um, uh, if there is that type of entrepreneurial profile in a business, that type of business is very difficult to sell. An entrepreneur that runs his business that way as the point person, as the person that is involved in every decision, uh, very few uh, companies or other individuals that are looking at acquiring, they don't want that type of business. They want a business that they can step in and that the management infrastructure is in place and that uh, they, may, they don't have to be there every day. And so if you want to optimize your exit, uh, one of the key components of that is your management infrastructure and hierarchy that you've created so that you actually can take a six-month vacation and be gone if it was necessary. And it may not be a vacation. It may be a family emergency. It may be an illness. It may be something that uh, precludes you from being there on a day-to-day basis. And if you have that type of you know, structure in place, your business becomes... Uh, highly more valuable than one that doesn't have that type of infrastructure in place. So if you were looking, if you asked the question about leadership, you know, I would, you know, look at hiring a profile of someone that, first of all, has integrity that you could trust, that you don't have to worry about uh, the what, other hands in the till when you are gone and in the world today. Uh, when I was in the trenches and hiring managers to run, the, I had a fairly large network of uh, stores that I owned and, and operated. It was one of the things that I always looked for was the integrity of the individual. And I checked the integrity you know, in the interview process and the references because that was the most important thing for me is someone that had high degree of integrity and uh, if you left them in a room and there was $100 on the floor, would they pick it up and put it in the pocket because you weren't in the room? Uh, it's that type of individual that uh, has those, that degree of uh, ethics in their personality. And uh, a lot, that really can't be taught. It's something that people are born with and that's part of their uh, upbringing. And uh, to me, that's, that's the most important characteristic in hiring someone that you want to do and trust with your business, that they would do the right thing when you're not there. I think a good point. And it just makes me think, I've, would you say some people are just born with these leadership capabilities? That's the age old, you know, question, you know, is it uh, inherited and part of your personality or can you learn it? Uh, yeah. It comes like it. I often have been on panels when they talk about entrepreneurship and running a business. You know, are you born to be an entrepreneur or is it something that you can learn? So I've decided over the years that uh, there are characteristics that you are born with. Uh, you can have a risk profile to, to take risk. Uh, 
and the ability to survive and thrive in a very dynamic changing environment. That's kind of your personality. That's kind of what gets you going uh, because it isn't predictable. Uh, you like the uncertainty. You like to be able to innovate on the fly. I think those type of things are personality driven. However, the things in a, you know, an entrepreneurial you know, personality is that you have tools, that you have to have the ability to learn the tools and use the tools to be successful. Uh, a lot of entrepreneurs aren't, you know, detailed oriented. They think big picture, you know. However, they have to have the ability to use the tools to analyze their business and look at their financial metrics or they're going to run themselves into the ground and out of business very quickly if they don't keep you know, tabs on what's going. So a tool, you know, financial systems and things of that are tools. The ability to be visionary, I think, is inherited. You know, you, Steve Jobs didn't, uh, you know, learn how to be the visionary he was. Uh, you know, a lot of that came as a part of who he was. But he learned how to succeed in business over time. He got thrown out of his own company because he, he was brash and petulant and uh, didn't take a lot of direction. He learned the, some entrepreneurial skills later by his experiences that allowed him to become uh, the person he was and to build the type of company he was. Ooh, with experience comes wisdom. So my next question for you is this, what would you say to yourself if you were like you're 18 years old and you're now starting out now you're now going to start out but in these times you're 18 but it's 2021 but you have the experience and knowledge to talk to the younger your younger you what would you say what that conversation be like you know i've often um you know reflected on that question and if i could you know use the experience that i have now to start today I, I've often lamented that I was just born too early. You know, I, I wish I would have been around uh, to, you know, I'd be 20 years old today and have the wisdom and the experience that I have today because I would learn to take risks with more thoughtful process. Some of the biggest successes I've had in my career have been when I've taken risks. Uh, without thinking about it. I just did it. Uh, on the flip side of that coin, some of the biggest failures I've had in my life is because I took risk and didn't think about it. You know, sometimes you're just lucky to be in the right place at the right time when you take those risks. And because uh, you are strategically positioned to take advantage of it, you become successful. And then you look at almost the identical situation. You take a risk without thinking about it, and you get run over by a freight train because it was, the timing was wrong. So one of the biggest failures I've had financially is where I've made a financial bet without adequate, adequately thinking through the consequences if it didn't turn out as I planned. Um, in fact, I was just talking to someone a couple of weeks ago, and about this very topic is that if I had taken a day or two and sat and thought about the biggest financial bets I made in my life, 
I may have still uh, made the, the financial bet that I that didn't turn out well, but I would have probably done things differently to protect my downside. That's what I would do today. And, and for those entrepreneurs out there, you know, that's part of being an entrepreneur is taking risk, taking the uncertainty and working through it. But as an entrepreneur today, if I was to relive some of those, I would take some more time to think about the downside of some of those decisions because once you build a company you have a people working for you your decisions have impact on their livelihoods uh, and uh, I would be more thoughtful on some of the decisions and I'd protect my downside uh, and I, I those detours that I took I was always able to come back from the mistakes I made but the detours I would have taken would have been you know one, two streets over, then back on the main road instead of in the ditch. It stuck. <laughs> and it took, I had a tow truck to get me out, you know. I, I, I wouldn't have gone into the ditch. Long-winded answer, but uh, it's a great question. No, it just leads me right to my next question, right? So in your experience, are you, would you say it's even in terms of the lessons that you're learning from failure and success? Because you just made a really good point. With, with, with taking more risk. So what's that like for you? Are you learning more from your failures just as much as success or it's a little bit different? How would you look at that? Oh, it's different. Uh, I think you learn from both, but it's certainly different. What you learn from, a from your failures uh, can sometimes cannot be learned through success. Early in my career, uh, I made some financial bets. I made career bet. I left a solid career with a, you know, national company and went out on my own. And that was a great decision. Uh, it turned out well. Uh, we bet the family farm, everything that we had. I mean, I had young kids and a big mortgage and car payments and everything else. And I went from a, a steady paycheck to no check. And, uh, you know, that, ta that takes a certain amount of you know, risk profile to be able to have the confidence in yourself to do that. Um, so, you know, taking the risk uh, was well was worth it. Uh, when I had that success, I mean, my partner and I, we literally hit it out of the ballpark because we were literally on the ocean with our surfboards and the wave came and we saw it coming and we were smart enough to get up and ride that wave to the beach. We got to thinking that we were the reason for the wave. We were so smart that we were the reason for the wave. And so then, you know, you get to believing your own press clipping sometimes. And uh, we made some financial bets and some decisions on our business at that time. Uh, and the wave didn't come, you know. Uh, we thought, oh, what, what's wrong here? What's wrong with this picture? We did the same thing last time and it worked. Why isn't it working this time? There's no wave. Uh, is because those are things with outside of our control. And so, you know, you go through those learning experiences. And that's why I come back to my earlier comment is that I would be more thoughtful on some of the financial risks. Now, we may still have made those bets, but we would have probably uh, done things differently uh, because of the experience that we had uh, in making the bet, we would have protected our downside more. So Marvin, of course, you know, you, you are a man of faith, 
do you believe and do you believe that it is necessary to have you know definitely have some type of foundation of faith being in business because of course everyone's gonna have their own beliefs but you know what wh what if you don't know what faith is like like you know that self-belief you know if no if you don't believe in yourself no one will right so what's your take on you know being in business but being in business with faith is there there i'm i know there's a difference because you know i'm gonna shout out some proverbs you know mark 11 uh 24 and habakkuk 2 2 i'm big on faith and i've learned that i operate so much better because you know i have a private partner that's god right but that's me operating in faith and business. So I wanted to know what's your take on faith in business? Well, I think uh, any business person, whether they work for a large company or doing their own thing as an entrepreneur, you know, part of a franchise system, you know, regardless of your career or profession, uh, what faith brings to the party for me is knowing that uh, there is a bigger purpose than just making money and that being in a position uh, of enabling other people to achieve their dreams through your you know ingenuity or creative abilities or ability to launch a company and a concept uh, and that you don't do it on your own uh, you know, what faith means to me is the ability to serve others uh, and that if you have that as your fundamental foundation, that you're not in it just for the money, uh, you are looking for a greater purpose to leave a contribution to help others achieve their dreams, uh, enable them to uh, accomplish their own personal goals. Uh, that's what faith means to me is, is you know, knowing that there is a, uh, a Father in heaven that loves and cares for us. And even if we belly flop and fall on our face uh, and fail, as we've talked a little bit about earlier here, uh, it's just a part of the process. It's a part of what we learn in this life. And that faith will carry us through some very, very dim, dark times. And anyone that's had their own business out there, when you don't know if you're going to make payroll or not, or your business fails and you have to walk away by locking the door because it just didn't work out, uh, life is a lot easier when you have faith uh, to be able to see you through those dark times. And that's, that's what's given me the ability to actually bounce back, is that faith. It isn't, it, it isn't the end. You know, it's just part of the process. It, it's definitely the thing that gives me confidence when I, it's, it's all about showing up for yourself, but uh, if, you know, faith is things unseen, unheard. So I have a great question for you. At this level of success, at this level of success, how are you still finding ways to challenge yourself? Well, I, uh, I challenge myself, you know, <clears throat> when I started the podcast, I knew nothing about the technical side of podcasting. I certainly listened to a lot of podcasts. That's why I decided to do it. I challenge myself uh, uh, almost on a, a daily basis because I talk to these extraordinarily successful, you know, transaction specialists on my podcast that share their stories. And uh, what I've learned through that process is that uh, no one is perfect. No business is perfect. Uh, entrepreneurs aren't aren't perfect. Uh, they blow it sometimes, 
and what gives me uh, energy, gives me the, you know, to continue working at this point in my career, I certainly don't have to, but uh, what gets me up in the morning is that I can actually help other people, you know, uh, through the difficult ups and downs that I've had in my career, uh, I can actually add value to somebody else's life so they may be able to exit their business and, you know, what I've chosen to do is to enable people to position their companies better for a more successful and profitable exit that I can help people achieve their dreams because when a, a person has worked for a decade or two decades or a lifetime building something, if they don't do the right things, they're not going to have the life post-exit that they thought they could have. And that can be devastating not only for an individual but entire family uh, to not be able to optimize their exit. And I get a great deal of satisfaction just making sure that these people do the right things to be able to live the dream, that the life that they thought that they would live after they sold their business. Sometimes it doesn't happen that way, unfortunately. No, it doesn't. So I want I want to, I have this quick, real, another quick one for you. Where are you in terms of the importance of happiness in business? Being happy with what you do. Oh, I just love what I do. I, you know, I wish I'd have started this a long time ago. It wouldn't have been as good because I wouldn't have had the experience and, you know, the ups and downs to be able to speak from experience of being successful and having, you know, successful exits and not and one not-so-successful one, uh, you know, it gives me the empathy and the understanding and the credibility to help people. But I just love it. I mean, coming back to my earlier comment, there's nothing more gratifying to see someone uh, exit their business uh, when it could have been a disaster and a train wreck, uh, but they followed your pointers and advice, and uh, it turned out really well, and it changed their life. You know, they, instead of, you know, living in a double wide trailer, they actually can live on the beach you know, uh, because they made some really good decisions. Uh, and it could have gone either way. It could have gone either way. Yeah, I am super glad, you know, now I'm thinking like, OK, I can open up a business and really talk to Marvin offline about exit strategies and, and how I could make this work for me so I could be on the beach. But this is why I love podcasting. Um, I'm just going to like switch gears for a second. But this is why I like podcasting, because I could grab this insight. I could you know, pick your brain and find out ways to grow within business, especially in entrepreneurship. And I'm just going to just change gears and talk about podcasting since we kind of relate on that common ground, because, of course, you're a podcaster. Just having access to different industry professionals, hearing their expertise, that helps me, like, in terms of learning curve, that shaves off six months, right? Just having that access that I could have that conversation. I could go back and listen to that podcast interview. Oh, yeah, the 20-minute mark, Marvin mentioned this, this, and this. So I could jot these things down, but also take action on these ideas of getting better in business. Now, going back into, of course, into my questions, this is something that I recently started to do, and I've seen some success in it. Do you think it's important for people to take their emotions out of business and just be business driven and not be focused on, oh, it's Wednesday, I don't feel like it and just do it anyways? What's your, what, what's your thoughts on that? 
Well, taking emotions out of business would be a big mistake. I think uh, business is all about uh, individual personalities and people, and the most successful businesses are the ones that can connect the dots on tying the personal, the you know, the goals of the business and the spiritual, actually, you know, tying the personal visions of individuals to help them accomplish their goals. One thing that I wish I had done earlier in my career is understand uh, more about the goals of the people I, <clears throat> that work for me, you know, instead of just expecting them to show up every day and do their job, uh, to really try to structure the job around enabling them to receive satisfaction and accomplish their goals. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of times entrepreneurs can be kind of bullheaded and uh, be very focused on themselves and that's their business, they're going to run their business the way they're going to run it and you know, to heck with other people and how they feel. Uh, what I've come to learn over time is that uh, the most successful entrepreneurs that exit most profitably uh, and sell their business for the most money are those that have built a culture where the individual within the company uh, thrives and that they are there not only to earn a living and make money, but they're there to serve the customer and they go beyond the mark to be able to protect the culture of the company, the brand of the company, uh, because uh, they have a personal investment of their emotional component of who they are into their work. And when an entrepreneur accomplishes that, builds that into the culture of the company, and it isn't easy, I can attest to that. But once they're able to pull that hat trick off, uh, their company becomes extraordinarily attractive and valuable to an acquirer. Because the decision, someone that buys your company, uh, especially if it's a strategic acquisition, there's always the question, should we build it or buy it? Can we pay $5 million for this business or should we invest $5 million in building a competing company? And they will buy if the time and the momentum that it takes to get their company that they would start to where you are right now, it isn't worth it. They would rather pay for it. And in many times, and I can give you examples that would blow your eyeballs out of how much a company will pay when that culture is there, when the momentum is there, when the infrastructure is there, when the people are in place, that, that can't be replicated. They can't build that. It takes too much time and effort and money to, to replicate that, so they buy it. And uh, that's when you know people that have gone through the process of thinking about their company strategically and what they want to create so they can position it for a successful exit that's when their company becomes really valuable and they have multiple people at the table negotiating to buy their company. And when you have multiple people at the table, uh, the price always, always goes up. And that's, that's what you are, are looking to do. And most people, uh, th there are two things for your audience here to take away from, from this discussion, I think. One is that th there's a fallacy that people think that uh, you can run a business successfully, the exit will take care of themselves. That's a true statement two or three percent of the time. The most successful exits are ones that are thought and planned and strategically positioned. 
Yes, you can get lucky. Second is that I'm so busy running my business, I don't have time to think about an exit. And, or I've just started my business. In fact, that's the best time to start thinking about an exit is because you make so many decisions early in your business that have profound impact uh, a decade or two down the road on how that business is going to be, be perceived in the marketplace. And it, they're simple things. But if you don't do those simple things, it has this compounding effect. It's, it's kind of like being at the fork in the road where it's only one or two degrees. If I go this way, it's only two degrees. If I go this way, it's only two degrees that way. But where that takes you is 200 miles off course, that one or two degrees. You get going in the wrong direction and it takes you way off course. And so those people that think about an exit early uh, tend to be very on target you know, when they, when it comes time to step away from their business. So I got a really good, I got a really good question for you. Uh, I actually have two really good ones based on what you just said. Do you think having advisors is necessary in the early ages of, you know, opening up a business, starting up? Necessary, uh, big word, a lot of implications, uh, advisable, uh, absolutely. Uh, I don't think, you know, necessary is kind of a, a life or death type of situation, you know. Uh, I think people can do very well without having advisors early in their business. Uh, those that do are fortunate enough to surround themselves with good mentors and advisors. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, they're much closer to the 10 mark of what that business is going to be worth down the road. Uh, you can do it without advisors. Uh, you know, Tiger Woods, you know, Michael Jordan, they all had, you know, coaches. Even though they were, you know, at the top of their profession, uh, they always had coaches. They always had people you know, tweaking their game. Uh, you're never too good. You're never too smart. Uh, you always need other people to rely on because, you know, you can't be everything. You know, you just can't do everything. You can't be an expert in everything. Can't stretch yourself too thin. So we're talking business. And since we're on the topic, there's a lot of booming industries right now. I want to know what industries has had your attention recently? We, like what, what's really been on your mind in terms of industries? Like, oh, man, like tech, tech's doing really good. Like, like what's really kind of like booming for you? Well, <clears throat> I have the opportunity to talk to, uh, you know, these other professionals that are in, uh, you know, the exit planning world, and it all involves around, you know, entrepreneurship and business ownership and, you know, what's hot and what's not, you know. And one thing that I've, I've come to conclude is that uh, the things that tend to have the long-term value uh, in delivering uh, service to customers is the culture of the company. So it may be not exactly the answer you're looking for. I don't think it, it's so much, because uh, trends come and go, technology comes and goes. Uh, what's hot today is, may not in six months, two years from now be hot then. But what lasts uh, is the type of culture that you build in whatever company that you have. That's what lasts. And that's what enables companies to, as the market changes and evolves, uh, 
and competitors emerge and technology changes, uh, what enables the longevity of a company is the culture they built to create the dynamics within the company that enable people to think outside of the box and to rally and to uh, provide the level of customer service and support. It just becomes a part of who the company is. And so if you look at the great brands that have been built, uh, those brands morph and change. And I'll go back to, you know, an earlier example of Apple. Uh, you know, allegedly the most valued brand on the planet uh, as far as brand equity goes. You know, it's, you know, it's evolved and changed over time. I think the Apple you're going to see in the future is you won't recognize it. Uh, iPhones will be something that you think fondly about. I think they are morphing and becoming a much more service-oriented company versus a hardware-based company. And uh, it's the people within the company that are, you know, envisioning the future. Whether the Apple car ever arrives or not, you know, they're always innovating and changing and adapting, but they are able to do that because of the people within the company and the culture that they've built, not because of any technological issue. Apple has never had the best and most cutting edge technology. They've always figured out how to make the customer experience using their technology better than anybody else on the planet. And they're able to do that because of the leadership and the culture they have within the company. You mentioned something earlier, maybe a little while back, you, you, you mentioned mentorship. And I want to kind of like talk about uh, the importance of mentorship. When does when should someone seek a mentor? You know, there's a quote, when the student is ready, this, the teacher will appear. But That's a great quote, by it's the way. A, it's a great quote. But w when should someone say, all right, I'm, I am I'm vulnerable to be vulnerable and accept the criticism and this and that that comes with mentorship? Because they have to be ready. They have to be ready. Right. So I want to know your thoughts on mentorship. Well, you ask what would I tell my 20-year-old self if I today, you know, uh, probably one of the things, uh, other than what I mentioned before, is that I would have sought out mentors uh, earlier in my career. I would have gotten input. Uh, I probably wouldn't have gone into accounting, actually. Uh, I made that decision on my own because I had, you know, uh, I started a business in college and uh, it took off and I... I had to make a decision whether I wanted to stay in school or continue making the type of money I was making. And I had so much cash flow, I couldn't keep track of all the money that was coming in. And that's why I took an accounting class. And uh, that let, started me on a, a path of, uh, you know, deciding that, you know, accounting is a good entree if you understand the basic fundamentals of finance and accounting. Uh, you can, you know, almost pick your business because every business makes money and you got to keep track of that money and that's in my thinking that's why I went down that path but given that uh, that isn't where I ended up I probably have would have gotten further down the road if I'd have had a mentor at the time that had some experience and some wisdom to give me perspective that I didn't have as a you know 22 year old kid going to school. I just didn't have that 
wisdom. I was shooting from the hip and making this, making career-altering decisions based on uh, which way the wind was blowing at the time. So mentorship, yeah, I every, every stage of entrepreneurship, you should have mentors. Do you make such a good point? And as you're te- as as you're telling your story, I'm thinking about you know the mentors that I've had in my life, and one of the things that I wish I did. I wish I was a hundred percent coachable in those moments because now I'm, now I look back at it. I'm like, man, if I would have just listened more back then, I, I what that would have had like this, but, um, and it just kind of like makes me think back to, as of what I mentioned, I think you have to be ready for it too. It's like you have to be vulnerable. You have to say, okay, I don't know. And I think a lot of business professionals, it's the pride. It's, it's definitely the pride to say, I don't think I know what I'm doing. Help me. What, when do we get that, to that, that conversation? That's especially, that, that's especially true. That's especially true when it comes to the whole exit process is that, uh, believe me, the exit is probably the, if not the most important strategic decision you'll make in your country company, it's, it's one of them. Uh, it's a culmination of uh, a life's work or decades of work. And since most people don't go through that uh, very many times, maybe once or twice in a career, you're never going to get it right. You're, you, you, you're just going to, you have the probability of screwing it up is really high. And so having someone, a coach, a mentor, somebody else that's been through the process can save you so much grief and make you so much more money than almost anything else uh, in the entire entrepreneurial journey. And uh, most people just wing it. It's most exit, amazingly, are event driven. It's they get burned out, they have a health crisis, they have a divorce, they have a death in the family. partnership problems, those are the type of event-driven exits. Um, and the parachute isn't packed, <laughs> you know, and so they tend not to be great exits. Ah, uh, man, this was really good. Uh, you know, closing out, I, I, I want to have one really, really good question for you. And it kind of like makes me, this. this is what I always go back to when I think of, okay, why am I, you know, uh, you know, why do I go to the gym three times a week? Or why do I do podcast interviews? Or why do I want to write books? I go about, I think about my why. So my last question for you, Marvin, is what is your why? What, what, like, what, what drives you to this point? Like, what, how, like, how did we get here? Like, what's that driving force for you? What keeps you all together? Well, at this point in my career, my why is the reason I get up in the morning and uh, is to you know, help others, you know, not make the same mistakes that I made. You know, I just get a big kick out of it. It's just very gratifying, very rewarding to take someone that hasn't thought about how they're going to exit their business. You know, people spend all sorts of time plotting and thinking and planning on how to get in a business. Uh, They write business plans, you know, they talk to a lot of other people, they do market research, to do all this stuff. But when it comes to exiting a business, uh, it's it just, they just kind of, they expect it just to magically happen. It just, 
always amazes me. And to be in a position to be the, you know, the sentinel on the hill that says, no, you don't want to go down that road. You really want to go down this road. And if you go down this road, you're going to end up on the beach. You're not going to end up in the ditch if you go down this road. I have been down these roads and you really want to go down this road. And that's just very gratifying to use the experience and leverage that experience and to help others, especially on a decision that is so crucial for the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years of their life. They're setting the stage of what their post business life is going to be like. And everyone has this Pollyanna vision that everything is going to turn out well because you worked hard, you built a business, uh, therefore you deserve to get a lot of money for your business when you sell it. Unfortunately, uh, that happens at times, but more likely than not, it doesn't happen unless you think about it and plan for it. Uh, there was... My why is helping others figure out their post-life exit. It, there was so much value in um, in this episode. I'm so glad I got to spend this time with you and, and interview you. Marvin, please shout out your social media uh, uh, tags and your website so listeners could know where to find you and where to follow you. Well, if you're if you're a business owner, uh, you will really enjoy the, the podcast because each episode has four transaction stories, two that worked out two that belly flopped or went sideways and some of the takeaways as told by the people that do the deals. Uh, that is uh, businessexitstories.com. That's where the podcast, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast at, uh, just subscribe to it. Uh, or you can just go to my personal website, marvinlstorm.com. Uh, uh, that'll get you hooked up with me or LinkedIn, Marvin L. Storm. You can reach out to me there too. Nice. Now, guys, don't forget that you could actually click the links in the episode description for uh, to reach out to Marvin directly for his LinkedIn, his website, etc. If you click the link in the episode description of this episode, you could be directed right towards uh, Marvin's social media tags or his website. Don't forget, guys, you could stream this episode from start <laughs> to finish. Now streaming on iHeartRadio, Audible, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Radio Republic. You can watch this full interview from start to finish on YouTube. Like I always say, guys, what good is information if you don't apply it? Marvin dropped so much value of gems today. Apply the information. Work on that exit strategy. Contact Marvin. I'll see you guys in the next episode of the St. Clair Speak Show podcast. Until next time, guys, it's that time.